Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to Communication Mixdown. I'm Rima Rattan. In September, the federal government passed a law aimed at what was characterized as farm invasions by activists targeting abattoirs and farms. Meanwhile, the Queensland, New South Wales, West Australian, Victorian and Tasmanian state governments are all considering legislation aimed at curbing protest activity by animal and climate change activists. So are protests, which are protected under the Constitution as the freedom of political communication, under threat in Australia. Jeremy Gans is a professor at Melbourne Law School where he researches and teaches across all aspects of the criminal justice system. I spoke to him about what the new federal and proposed state-level legislation aimed at controlling protests means for activists during the Week of Action by Extinction Rebellion. Do you want to tell us about federal laws? All right, so there are some new laws that the federal government has just passed which make it an offence to tell anyone anything, distribute material, they say, using the internet, if you want someone to rely on that information to go and trespass on property, agricultural property, or to steal something or damage property at an agricultural property. So if you send anyone a message and in your head you're hoping that someone's going to do something illegal on an agricultural property, you've committed a federal offence. The most serious federal offence, the one about theft and damaging property, you could get up to five years in prison. How do you test what's in your head? How do you prove that in a court of law? So this is a problem in almost every criminal prosecution because you can't generally be guilty of a crime unless you had some guilty thoughts in your head. The answer is generally the way that you and I, for instance, or anyone else works out what's going on in someone's head. As humans, we spend ages trying to work out, I wonder what that person's thinking. The courts do the same thing. So the easiest way for them to work out what is going to be in someone's head when they're distributing information is to read the information and say, well, I wonder why they are distributing that. The laws that are coming in right now on state levels seem to be either targeting animal activism or climate change activism. That's right. But these federal laws are specifically for animal activism. They're specifically for anything that leads to illegality on an agricultural property. They aren't specific to protests, and that really matters because the High Court strikes down laws that are specific to protests. So they cover anything which could cause someone to break a law on an agricultural property. That obviously includes protesters, but it's not limited to them. So, for instance, the uh, material for the bill worries a bit about someone who makes a game like Pokemon Go and puts some key places you need to go to play the game on someone's property. They point out that that person could potentially be in breach with some limits of their law. So it's not just about protesters. So geocaches will also get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's right. And just someone who wants to point out good places to take an Instagram shot or anything like that. So anything that leads people to go and trespass on an agricultural property is in the firing line for this bill. That being said, it's really obvious that everyone admits that the target is putting up maps of farms that someone thinks that someone else should go and raid and rescue the the cows or the bees or whatever. You mentioned earlier that the High Court tends to strike down laws that um, 
that target political communication. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, the main example is the laws passed in Tasmania um, a few years back that were expressly aimed at, at targeting protesters in forestry areas. They're pretty mild laws in some ways. You didn't actually commit a crime if you disrupted a a forestry matter in in a particular spot. What happened is that the police would then tell you to leave. And if you didn't leave, you'd be committing a crime. Or if you came back, you'd be committing a crime. But a majority of the High Court said that is targeting protesters and it's targeting them in a way which is going to make it really hard for anyone to work out if they're on the right side of the law or not, unless they keep well away. And they said that's going too far and is a breach of the Constitution's implied limit on laws that limit free speech. Now, Tasmania is working on amending that legislation. Yes, that's right. And their plan is just to drop the reference to protesters. So instead, anyone who goes in a forestry area and disrupts things for protest, for tourism, find a good spot to hang out with their romantic partner, all of them could be told to leave and then not come back. Of course, it will still mainly target protesters in the end, but it won't be as exposed to the problem that the High Court found. That being said, the High Court also said the other problem with the Tasmanian laws was that they were uncertain. It was just hard to tell literally where you were allowed to stand. So, for instance, Bob Brown, who was initially arrested and was one of the plaintiffs, everyone agreed by the end he hadn't even broken the law. He didn't know he hadn't broken the law. No one else did until later on when they realised he was just standing in a spot that happened to not be covered by the law. That's actually a lot of a problem with a lot of these laws about agricultural properties is it's going to be hard at times to work out if a property is an agricultural property. It will have a complex definition, it does in the federal law, and also where it starts and ends. So all of that will be hard to tell. Most of these properties are fenced though, yeah. You'd be on the other side of a fence. There will certainly be fences and the fences will certainly make things easier to tell in terms of where you're allowed to stand or not. That being said, A lot of these properties have fences all over the spot. Um, It's hard to tell which is the right fence. And like I said, you also have to have an idea of which bit of the property is the agricultural business part of the property and which isn't, or whether it's an agricultural business or not. All of that is a bit up for grabs. And also what it is you're exactly allowed not to do or allowed to do on the property. So that's always the problem with these laws is they come up with rules which on their face seem sensible. People shouldn't be allowed to break stuff. But the details get hard. What counts as breaking stuff? What counts as stealing something? What counts as trespass on property is quite complex. Now, this is in response to animal activists, well, initially publishing a map of farms, of intensive farms? Apparently. I haven't seen the, the documents, but that's definitely what they say it's aimed at. You get yourself a website or you find a spot on the internet which others can access and you hope that people will access it and then go and cause trouble on the farms. That's what they're aiming these laws at. But the biosecurity seems to be an issue. New South Wales laws are using biosecurity. Is that just the fig leaf? No, no, there's a lot of lot of different approaches um, and they're targeting different things. I mean, a few years ago in Victoria, there were special laws passed around doing stuff, sailing around in Port Phillip Bay. That was aimed at that issue a few years back about dredging in the bay. But you wouldn't know that from reading the bill. It's just about keep away from boats and obey the instructions of marine safety officers and all of that. So the, the biosecurity ones could be specific about agriculture or they could be a bit broader than that. There are ones proposed in Queensland which are actually targeting something quite different. It's a particular method of protesting where you attach yourself to something and it makes it very hard for you to be removed. So they've just banned the attachment items. The Queensland provisions are pretty weird for a lawyer to read uh, because they they define things like a sleeping dragon and a dragon's den, which are 
devices that <laughs> you can use to, one, attach yourself to an item, but then have multiple people in there so you can all fall asleep or something and have a long-term protest. And there's other, other things you use to hang yourself off items. All these things are just designed to cause as much chaos as possible to keep the protest going on a long time because a protest isn't very effective if the moment you turn up, you just get dragged off by the cops. And also disruption is the point of protest. Attention is the point of protest and it's hard to get attention without disruption. That's definitely true. So there's a really famous example from last decade when someone climbed or a couple of people climbed up the Sydney Opera House at the eve of the Iraq war and painted no war on the Opera House. And boy, did that get attention, not because of what they were doing. It was easy to get them off the Opera House, but because the photos were so good of the no war sign, right? So that's a different way to get attention. It's not really about disruption. It is, of course, about property damage or at least graffiti at the very least. Most of these disruptions, most but not all, are illegal in some way. Queensland laws that are being proposed, there's been some talk of the fact that people aren't actually using the devices that they're trying to make illegal. Oh, I don't know anything about that. But if they're not using the devices, then the laws will have little or no effect. The only possibilities there is that the laws could be triggered if one person suggests to another that they use the devices or something like that. But otherwise, all they can do is stamp on a particular sort of protest, whatever's covered by the law. Mm. It's either a narrow thing like sleeping dragons and dragon's dens, or it's a broad thing. If it's a narrow thing, protesters can get around a by just shifting to something else. If it's a broad thing, the problem that the government will eventually run into is they're going to cover too much. And at the end of the day, that could cause problems in the High Court. So covering too much is something that the High Court frowns upon? Yeah, so the High Court says we need to be able to speak about political things, but it accepts that you can limit some political speech if there's a good reason. The problem is that if they go too broad trying to capture as many sort of things they're worried about as they can, they might effectively make it impossible for someone to speak. That's what happened in Tasmania. The High Court accepted, and this is somewhat controversial, but they accepted that a law that says that if you step in the wrong bit of a forest and disrupt forestry and then are told to go away, that law effectively makes it impossible or far too difficult to effectively communicate your views on forestry. We've got proposed or passed laws in Queensland, New South Wales, WA, Victoria, Tasmania. You need to distinguish a little. For instance, the Victorian ones, that's proposed by the Shooters Party. It's a private member's bill. It's actually quite, it's another thing. It's It bans any use of drones to film anything to do with animals. Uh, its terms would seem to cover filming people in a public park walking a dog, which of course has nothing to do with protecting agricultural business or anything like that. But it, in any case, it's proposed by the Shooters Party and there's absolutely no sign that it's going to pass and in particular that has the support of the government. Typically, the only bills that pass are ones that that the government proposes and certainly the the ones that the government supports. So you can't put them all in the same box. There's there's always some crazy laws out there. Right. Well, that's comforting in a way. I thought it was interesting that the Law Institute of Victoria suggested that instead of the laws proposed by the Shooters and Fishers Party, there should be laws promoting greater transparency in the agricultural industry. Well, as it happens, there's another private member's bill put up by Animal Justice, which is to ban duck hunting. So, you know, there there are proposals both ways up currently, for instance, in the Victorian Parliament. You know, I'm sure the Law Institute is right that better transparency is a good thing, but it rarely answers the question about 
what level of protests are okay. Um, protests are never going to stop. As we all know, the animal rights issue has a variety of issues from the most cruel treatment of animals, but through to a complete protest at any um, use of animals in any way by humans. Yes, the Law Institute is right that you could deal with protests in part by political concessions um, or political action, but I don't think that will resolve the harder question of where we're going to draw the line on protests. And just for instance, the climate change protests happening in the CBD at the moment, the government could partly stop those protests by declaring a climate emergency, but everyone knows that there'll be further demands because, of course, the declaration of the climate emergency is the first step in a program to stop climate change. It's not the final demand. Why does the High Court frown upon this? Is Let's talk about the implied freedom of political communication in the Constitution. All right, so our Constitution doesn't have a Bill of Rights like most constitutions do. Everyone hears about the US Bill of Rights. That's the oldest one. It was passed in the 1790s. Australia's constitution deliberately chose not to have rights like that in it. The founders of the constitution thought that it was a mistake and they preferred the English approach where there weren't any enforceable rights and the politicians and the democracy got to decide these issues. So that was a decision made rightly or wrongly back in 1900. But nevertheless, there are, of course, some protections in our constitution for things like elections. And so the constitution says there have to be votes for the House of Representatives and the Senate. That's all it says. Those votes have to be by the people, not by anyone else. The High Court has kind of drawn a long bow and said, how can you have votes by the people if you can't have people talking to other people about how they should vote? So the court says no one can stop people talking to other people about how they should vote unless there's a good reason. And from all of that, we get to a much broader proposition. Everyone should be able to talk about politics and they don't draw much of a distinction between federal or state politics. They're all interconnected in Australia unless there's a sensible reason to stop some of that. And the sensible reason may be danger of damage to property, for instance. Absolutely. Or the High Court's pretty generous on sensible reasons. So, for instance, it recently said that you could stop a public servant having an anonymous Twitter account that says some nasty things about the public servants or the government because that would get in the way of the idea that public service servants should be independent and not biased and not political. A person with a Twitter account working in the Department of Immigration got fired after someone discovered that she had an, she was the young identity behind an anonymous account. It was a complex action. She got fired and the actual action that went to the High Court was her attempt to get workers comp for being fired um, because of the stress of being fired. But ultimately it turned on, are you allowed to fire someone? Are you in fact allowed to require public servants not to speak on political things even anonymously? And the High Court said, yep, you can because although people should be allowed to speak about politics, it's different for public servants. So, That's a so lot they're of people. Pretty, yeah, it sure is. Um, it's really broad. So as far as rights go, this is much of a right. Yes, they strike down things sometimes, but it's nothing like the US right to free speech. It's not an absolute right. It's a really narrow right where the problem the government runs into only arises if they punch too hard or too va- too vaguely. There's been a lot of talk about getting a Bill of Rights in Australia. Yes. What Do you think this sort of, I guess this is not going to lead to any sort of Bill of Rights, this suite of proposed laws or anything like that? I think talk of a federal Bill of Rights is pie in the sky, but actually I have a bad record on that because I used to also think talk of a Victorian Bill of Rights here in the state of Victoria was pie in the sky. And we got one a decade ago. Uh, But I'm still a bit of a naysayer because although we got one a decade ago, the courts have barely used it. Laws have 
been passed all the time that if this was America, they would not be allowed. But the courts here are like the High Court and say, yeah, your rights are important, but so is all the other stuff government wants to do. And they often find that the government can do what it wants. Another thing to know about what's proposed as bills of rights in Australia is they are not constitutional rights that override the legislature. They are much narrower powers that affect how laws are interpreted or allow courts to just speak about the problems of laws, but not otherwise tell Parliament what to do. A telling example is that Queensland has now joined Victoria and they now have a Human Rights Act. It's due to formally commence in a couple of months, so it hasn't yet commenced. But the new laws that have been proposed about uh, dragons' dens and sleeping dragons and devices to lock yourself to things, they're accompanied by a statement from the government saying this is A-OK with our Human Rights Act. There's nothing wrong with this. We're respecting everyone's rights, including the rights of business people. So I think there's a bit of a limit in what those, those documents can do. Published or Not has been around for years, but now Jan Goldsmith is joined by David McLean. We will chat about words and writing, authors and audiences, publishers and printing, a voice for them all on 3CR. Published or Not, every Thursday, 11.30 till noon. When you get home, baby, me a few your lines. You're with Communication Mixdown, and this week we're talking about legislation aimed at curbing protest activity on the state and federal levels and the state of the freedom of political communication in Australia. Going back to this anonymous Twitter account, is there a an appeal? No, no, that was the High Court that made the decision. There's no appeal from that. It's done. You know, the High Court didn't resolve this issue for every single Twitter account and every single public servant. So there's still room to argue that some public servants, I know, teachers or something, aren't as affected by this rule. There's room to argue that it's okay to have a Twitter account and you're allowed to say some things, but just not what that particular person was saying because she was extremely critical of the government's policy. I think it's a real pity that they didn't also say it's okay to have an anonymous account because I don't see what the harm of an anonymous account is, but they weren't impressed with that argument at all. They said the thing about anonymity on the internet is it never lasts. Uh, so I have something in that. There is something, but not that much, I think. Um, so I was pretty disappointed in the decision. So were many. But there's no, there's no appeal. This is settled. You, the only way you could get them get a change of mind is either to wait for new high court judges down the track and cross your fingers. That's a long one. Or convince the government that it doesn't have to be so tough and to come up with a better policy, which is a little more balanced. For what it's worth, although the majority of the court were really gung-ho against public servants and, and their speech, there was one judge who was kind of dissented from the rest of them who said, you need to be a bit cautious and strike balances. And the word so far is that the powers that be in the federal government are, are relying on that judge, um, the slightly more nuanced view of that judge for whatever reason. They're allowed to, and maybe they thought it was a better view. By all indications, we're going to see a lot more protests mm. than we have have seen in recent years like this is this is something that's building up I mean on the way here through town I saw a Fallon Duffer protest I saw an Assange protest yesterday afternoon I saw a climate protest it just seems that there is a sort of a, a build-up yeah it's happening a lot it's become you know, I guess these things go in phases but yes there's every th- reason to think it's going to keep happening I think actually putting all these offenses aside about when you might be sent to jail for protesting um, the real immediate issue is how do the police or other powers that be 
manage protests as they happen. And that's only partly a legal question, what powers do they have, but also a very difficult political and administrative question of how you, if you decide, for instance, that you want to push a bunch of people away from Prince's Bridge because they're blocking the bridge, how do you do that exactly? What risks are you allowed to take, given that people could be hurt or, or badly injured doing that sort of thing? How do you control a cop who's in a bad mood or doesn't quite follow all the rules or is uh, gets pissed off by whatever a protester says to them. Those are the really nitty-gritty issues. And that's exactly why Extinction Rebellion is kind of getting a lot of publicity because the cops have limited options to really deal with them in a quick fair way. They could deal with them quickly in an unfair way, but otherwise trying to manage them and not hurt anyone and not overstep lines they're not allowed to cross is really tough. So that's the real strength of Extinction Rebellion. From what it's worth, the same thing's happening right now in Hong Kong, where there are millions of people on the streets. And, you know, of all the governments in the world, you would expect China to be quite willing to, to be really harsh. But even they know that harshness can backfire on them. So that's why, fingers crossed, those protests so far have kept going safely, um, although everyone worries down the track. So one legal issue that comes from all of that, and one temptation in this situation, is for governments to try and pass laws that make it easier for the police to stop protests or clear people off streets or whatever without as much trouble. Um, And that can include laws that try and stop protests from even starting in the first place, because if they don't start, you've got a much easier time uh, dealing. So that's one reason why they're trying to stop people putting up maps of farms on the internet. Uh, That's way, that's an early stage of the protest. But it could also include special powers for the police to try and manage certain protests in a big hurry. That's, I imagine, where government's thinking hard about how they're going to react to Extinction Rebellion. What can they do to to tip the scale a little towards stopping the protests speedily? A recent news article talked about uh, Queensland Council disallowing the protest because the council gets to Mm. veto it. But it was challenged in court and the protest went ahead. Yeah, so look, in some situations, to protest legally, you need a permit. And so one way to manage this is just not to give the permit, but that itself is a little tricky because the people who give the permit have to obey the constitution and the implied right of freedom of political communication. But remember, most protests don't obey the law, not the ones that are most disruptive and get the most publicity. They're breaking the law, so it's not question of a permit. It's just a question of how the police going to enforce the rules. Um, so you're not allowed to stand in the middle of Prince's Bridge. Everyone knows this. But the protesters did not ask if they could stand in the middle of Prince's Bridge. And in fact, they could have asked. And you know, like the footy parade, special arrangements could have been made. But of course, they knew they would be told no, not at 5pm on a Tuesday afternoon. And so they didn't ask. And so the next question comes becomes enforcement. There's a further angle there, which has been happening the last few days in Melbourne, which is the police eventually do arrest people. And that, of course, takes them off the street. Although in quite a physically difficult and sometimes fraught situation. But then there's a further fight uh, because they're brought before a court the court has to decide whether to put them in prison for a while, awaiting their trial, or give them bail. And bail means you get to be free in the street and do what you want. But the courts can impose conditions on bail. Now, bail traditionally was just meant to be you get left out, let out so long as they're sure you're going to turn up to court down the track. And the only conditions they imposed were ones that made sure you didn't leave the country or disappear or bother witnesses or something like that. That was the traditional use of bail. But unfortunately, I think, the last couple of decades have seen the idea that actually that one purpose of bail is to stop people committing further crimes while they await their own trial. These are people who haven't yet been convicted of anything, but the idea is you put conditions to make sure they don't do any bad things while they're on bail. Now, that can include someone who's on bail for a very serious violent crime, not committing further violent crimes, but it can also include someone who's on bail for a trivial crime, like standing too 
long in the middle of Prince's Bridge, where the condition is they have to keep well away from the CBD so that they don't end up standing for too long in Prince's Bridge. That's really controversial. And um, just in the, the papers I've been seeing recently, there have been fights over what are the right conditions to impose. It's actually a really hard question. And it's hard only because the purpose of bail has become twisted away from just making people turn up in court to controlling their lives in the meantime. Yes, and several bail conditions have been struck down recently. So Reportedly, yesterday, yes. yes. Yesterday, Scott Ludlam was, could not appear in court because yeah. it was in a location that he was not allowed to be in. Oh. And the judge struck down the conditions... Yeah, so so what's going on with those specific protests is the people who initially do the conditions are the cops. Um, Courts aren't really involved at all um, because there's no time for court to work out all these things. So the cops do the conditions. And then the next step is you turn up in court and say, I don't like the conditions. The conditions are always complex. They often say things like keep out of the Melbourne CBD. But what if you work there? What if you... Live, live on one side of Melbourne but need to go to the other side of Melbourne and you have to go through the city loop. It's all that sort of thing. So the conditions become complex just to apply, putting aside their impact on protests, and then they become complex because which ones are necessary. For instance, just because someone isn't meant to stand in the middle of Prince's Bridge doesn't mean they shouldn't participate in protests which don't involve standing in the middle of Prince's Bridge. So how do you manage that? Uh, it's incredibly fraught. What sort of powers could be given to police to allow them to interact. You spoke earlier about, you know, you could increase police powers to sort of allow them to prevent or react safely, but effectively, by which I mean shutting down the protest, now that we're seeing more and more protests, what sort of powers are possible? What does the legislation look like? Well, it's really hard to do well. And, you know, there are extremes like empowering the police to use quite extreme or difficult weapons like tasers or the like. But, of course, that's a bad look uh, for the government. They don't want to be tasering a bunch of hippies. Tear gas in democracy is not attractive. They don't want to be tear gassing hippies, no. Um, Or bystanders on the street in the Melbourne CBD. In England and the UK, where they've, they've had a lot of this sort of problem for many decades that way outstrips what Australia is experiencing. Uh, a lot of the talk has been about the police cordoning off just places and stopping every, anyone leaving and anyone coming into particular places until they've found a better way to manage the protest. So uh, it's called, they call it kettling sometimes. But in, you might just be wandering through the CBD and find yourself in the kettle, which means you're stuck with a bunch of protesters while the police try and work out an effective way to move you on. And um, again, and how do you... What if I have to go through the kettle to get to work? You're at the mercy of some cop who either believes you, or likes the look of you or whatever, or is in a good mood that day or isn't. That's, of course, one reason amongst many why they're controversial um, is that people can get caught, people can have a heart attack. You know, all these terrible things can happen. So there's, there's always those sorts of tools. Or um, at a bigger extreme, the cops can be given powers to declare certain locations at certain times to be no-go zones, to declare certain locations at certain times to be zones where you must obey everything the cops say instantly or they'll arrest you. So all those sorts of rules. In fact, we have those rules in Victoria for terrorist emergencies. So the government has the power to declare whole areas to be massive control zones where everyone must do what they're told. And if you don't do what you're told, you face five years in prison. We have those for terrorism. And so the question is, should the police be allowed to use them for these protests, which on no reasonable view are terrorism, but are nevertheless disruptive and require management sometimes. So that's the temptation of government is to start doing those sorts of things. One power that police have everywhere in Australia is called a move on power, where if if someone is doing a set of things, breaking the law, breaching the peace, which is a very vague term, they can be told to move on and go away and not come back. Victoria was the last jurisdiction in Australia to get those laws, and our version of the laws says they cannot be used on protesters. Not at all. So if you've got a sign up 
doesn't matter what else you're doing, you can't be told to move on under those powers. You can be arrested, but not told to move on. The coalition government, when it was in between 2010 and 2014, changed that and said that for certain protesters, ones who are obstructing the street, they can be told to move on. The Labor Party bitterly opposed that, and when they came back into government, they reversed those rules. There's going to be a temptation to have another look at that issue if these Extinction Rebellion protests continue in the current way they have been for a long time. That was Professor Jeremy Gans from the University of Melbourne talking to me about our freedom of political communication in the face of past and proposed legislation that aims to control protests. That's it for Communication Mixdown this week. We're back again next week at 6pm. We're going to go out with Get Off the Internet by Le Tigre.